Today is your last day to pre-order an Odeal and get it before everyone else and at nearly half off. Make anal prep easier at manwhorepod.com slash stretch. The Man Whore Podcast is sponsored by Alt Playground. APG is more than just a place to find couples to swap with. Alt Playground is a lifestyle community for all non-monogamous and sexually adventurous people to connect and share. And you know I started a profile. Join me over at altplayground.net. That's A-L-T playground.net. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. Shout out to all you butch babes, all you tomboys, and all of you thoughty theys. This is Billy Presida, and you are listening to the Man Whore Podcast. Hey, welcome to the show if you're new. Welcome back if you're not. Uh, This week on the podcast, I've got on writer Melissa Falavino. She's got a new book out of essays called Tomboy Land. Very excited to share our conversation with you all in a little bit. Uh, We'll also be hearing from friend of the show, Caitlin Bailey. She's going to give us a little uh, update on the state of sex work in this country momentarily. Uh, And then me, you know, I'm just some schmuck in a basement who cannot stop playing Minesweeper. Yes, that Minesweeper with the grid and the bombs and the flags and the numbers. And you only win like once every 20 attempts that game. I cannot stop playing it. I don't know what it is. In this, I'm like just obsessed. I've lost two to three hour time blocks on more than one occasion in the past week with this game. It's gotten to the point I'm even looking up Minesweeper strategy because I've, I've fostered this delusion that I'm going to conquer and, 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 <laughs> and defeat this game. I don't know what it is. I'm, I can't peel myself away from the game very easily in a similar way where like I can't peel myself away from a craps table. You know, it's always, well, one more game. Okay, one more roll. Okay, but okay, well, no, I put the bet on the wrong spot, so I should get another bet. And I think I'm trying to to grab some control over something because I think I'm starting to reach this point where I really am losing some control. Granted, getting on the scale a week ago was probably not the best idea because now I feel like I need to get a control over my food intake, a control over my exercise, even a control over, you know, my sex life again. Um, I've definitely been waxing and waning with the libido and with what I want to do. Yeah, things are starting to feel a little out of control. I got to be honest with y'all. I'm hanging in there in my, my new compound that I've created in a basement in Bushwick. Things don't make sense anymore. There's no accountability when you break the rules, if you're powerful enough, which I guess is not new, but it's in front of my fucking face on the TV every day. 
And I think I just, I need something simple to obsess over. I need something simple to, to zone out on that isn't Netflix. And then I find myself working my brain with this logic puzzle game, Minesweeper. And I can't seem to peel myself away from it very easily because to peel myself away from it is to go back out there and face life and to face the reality of, <laughs> of the shitstorm that this country is in. I forget if I've said this on the show, but like I, I'm at the first time in my life have I ever seriously contemplated like I think I need to own a firearm because I don't know what the fuck is going to happen leading up to the day of and in the in the weeks after the election, really until we have got a, a hopefully a new president sworn in. And even then, I feel like I would want to wait like a few weeks or a month or two afterwards before I truly feel like this country is not going to erupt into something violent. And so I feel like I need a gun. Another example of me wanting some kind of control to to calm me, to put me at ease. And for any of you who are concerned, if, if I do purchase a firearm, it would be like until we have gone past that grace period after an inauguration, and I, fi- I figure I can always sell the gun to someone else. But I can <laughs> I'm feeling both out of control and obsessed with getting in control. And I know it's not healthy to try to uh, enact that control over my eating habits and, and my partially broken hand plus the weather kind of prevents me from regaining that control via exercise and sex. Ugh, like really? And so I'm finding myself zoning out and obsessing over these other thoughts, these other, these other ideas recently. I don't think any of y'all got to worry about me. I just... Uh, it's sad not seeing people. It's sad not doing stand-up. Even though there are shows, I don't agree that shows should be happening. I miss orgies. I miss friends. I miss hanging out at a bar without feeling like <laughs> terrified of anyone who comes within six feet of me. I miss the before times. And sometimes zoning out with three hours of Minesweeper kind of lets me forget about that. But then again, the world keeps spinning. The world keeps turning. I can't zone out forever. And that's something I'm going to have to face at some point or another. Yeah. Caitlin Bailey, everybody. Uh, Caitlin Bailey, past guest of the podcast. I think she's episode like 61. Very early episode. Really good one. Uh, I think it's titled Playing the Whore with Caitlin Bailey and uh, she's popped by the podcast here and then. And uh, last week I told y'all about the newest thing creeping up on the forefront down in Congress, the earn it act. No bueno. Last time Caitlin was here. And uh, I think December of 2018, she was telling us about how sex workers are the canaries in the coal mine when it comes to internet censorship and privacy and how this is going to come and affect y'all soon. Anyways, Caitlin is back. Uh, to tell us some more about the Earnit Act and, and tell us about some other things going on with the state of sex work in this country. Let's go uh, chat with the host of the Oldest Profession podcast, Caitlin Bailey. All right, and uh, we've got back Caitlin Bailey, uh, comedian and director of communications at Decriminalized Sex Work, uh, an organization pursuing a state by... Oh, wait, 
That's a really long mission statement. I'll let you do that. Yeah, don't worry about that. Yeah, don't. Oh, you got in too deep. You can't start there. No, I wrote that. There's nothing short and punchy about it. I'm sorry. I'm, well, hi. I'm, hi. Thank you so much for having me back, Billy. Uh, you want to you introduce yourself? Let me just fix my missions, uh, my organization's mission real quick. Yeah. No, I am, I am the Director of Communications for Decriminalized Sex Work. We are um, a national organization trying to end the prohibition of prostitution in the United States. And we are pursuing a state-by-state strategy to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right now, we are uh, part of a huge coalition of organizations fighting the Internet Act. Yeah. So you were on here a couple years back after FOSTA-SESTA. Uh, was I right or was I right? Was that nightmare? You were right. That was I had, nightmare. I, how many times am I going to lose my Instagram? You know, it's <laughs> a, that's where it trickles down. You think it doesn't affect you, and then you don't get Billy's thirst traps. That's the consequence of all I of this. I thought my white male privilege would protect me. <laughs> I did. I Why are my colleagues that? allowed to say the N-word? It's like this is... <laughs> nightmares yeah so um so the the news in my life is that i now have an only fans uh ah! because and, because and, you're a literal whore i don't know because we become <laughs> our fears i don't know it's uh i i i am supportive i am supportive of it you're, you you are getting in at the tail end it's been ruined by posers i'm not saying you're part of the problem i'm saying you can't profit there now yeah well the first so i started tweeting like to promote it and then uh <laughs> i got a shadow banned and i was like i thought like the whole white oh, guy face and my blue check mark i thought these were all gonna protect me no <laughs> welcome <laughs> welcome to the resistance and listeners they're gonna come for you next and uh and and i told you all last week about the earn it act and uh caitlin here can give you a way better explanation about what this what this piece of legislation is, why it's bad for sex workers, and also, uh, you know, the bigger pictures, why is it bad for everybody and a free and open internet? So, yeah. Kaylin, tell us a bit about this. I mean, I feel like the last time I was on, I did not mince words when I was like, Sesta Foster represents an existential threat to freedom of expression on the internet. And I feel <laughs> similarly about the even higher stakes of private communication on the internet. And so let me just, a, a brief rundown of what Earn It Act does is, uh, Earn It Act is trying to end end-to-end encryption under uh, the true and trusted guise of uh, protecting the children. And so the culprit here is child porn, which is being sent from pervert to pervert on private messages, between private messages um, and encrypted. Is this like deep web stuff or is this no. like basic? No, I'm talking about like WhatsApp oh and God. like, uh, well, what's, that's Chinese. But yeah, like Proton, Mail, uh, the, uh, you know, Signal, um, different, different platforms that journalists and therapists and people, you know, uh, sources need to use in order to communicate privately and securely, even if they're talking about something that they don't want their neighbors or their government to hear about. I think that, you know, some uh, close to home examples might be, for example, the underground abortion network, which, you know, we're about to confirm one of the most um, aggressively pro-life judges um, in recent history. I feel like it is not outside the listener's imagination to imagine a future where Roe versus Wade is overturned. And even, you know, in a country right now, before we've lost the protections of Roe, 
uh, safe and legal abortion is still inaccessible in large enough swaths of this country that underground abortion uh, providers already exist. And they use places like Signal, things like Proton Mail, in order to, to communicate securely, but they don't want that information out there, right? And so bills like Earn It Act will open up a backdoor that we know is going to inevitably be used to crack down on victimless crimes like adult consensual prostitution uh, is going to be used to ferret out um, sources and whistleblowers and is going to compromise uh, the secure communication between therapists uh, and attorneys and their clients. And that and that's you know we've already been seeing a lot of the censorship stuff in like all you know Facebook Instagram right, they they've been said, changing the terms of service like no right. eggplant emojis right uh, <laughs> because whores might use them right yeah no it's like they say they're protecting the children they're doing no such thing there's no resources uh, you know being directed to uh, domestic violence shelters there's no resources uh, being directed at creating uh, you know more. Um, harm reduction strategies, uh, making it safer and easier for kids to report abuse against them. Uh, we're not investing in any of those strategies. No, we're just uh, doubling down on the thing that doesn't work, which is really broad censorship of mostly mm. harmless stuff. Now, one of the things that stood out to me when I first started learning about this piece of legislation is that, which has just been entered, like it's, it's be, I'm having you on now because it's becoming more real. Right. It's, uh, it's out in, con it's not just a, an idea. It's like on the floor and shit. You know, I've been screaming into the void this whole time. Yeah. Really. Thank you so much for having me back on, but it has been the same song every day. So <laughs> one of the things I noticed was that there's like a committee that would be formed under this to like yes. decide. Yeah, yeah. Is, so people right? like so people like Lindsey Graham will sit around and spitball the best way to invade your privacy to crack down on the libs. And so like that's that's the draconian like worst case scenario of, of what this will look like. But it will very likely look like you know the the fever dreams of the Family Values Coalition, right? Like the cracking down and conflating sexual imagery with um, abuse and violence. We're going to put these 14 people in a room and, and make whatever they come up with law. That's what makes this bill so dangerous is that we don't know what the, uh, we don't exactly know what legislators are going to use to open that back door. It's not so spelled out uh, that you can, you can mount sort of like a, a reasoned defense against it. It's just, yeah. you know, 14 elected officials as part of, you know, an appointed committee coming up with what they think is the scariest, which is like mm -hmm. not usually the, the underlying factors behind systemic abuse and exploitation, but is rather, you know, you know, repress. I, I, I'm sorry. It's just so hard to take someone like Lindsey Graham seriously. Like, I feel like we spent we spent so much time reading about the like grotesque details of what he likes to do to gay male escorts in D.C. Not like three months ago. And I know that feels like a thousand years ago, but it's like somebody who is openly known as Lady G in D.C. Uh, is going to sit around and pontificate about what they think sexual material should exist online and whether or not adults ought to be able to communicate private, privately. And it just, mm -hmm. it strikes me as the height of hypocrisy and just this, this sort of blatant abuse that our lawmakers and the top 1% feel like they're immune to the, the laws that they pass that the rest of us have to follow.
Yeah, and a lot of us have like sexy little group chats. I mean, my Patreon community, we have the Peep Show, we have a little Telegram group. It's on one of these end-to-end encryption type of messaging apps and all that shit could be you know could be targeted be like ah i don't know maybe they're doing some whoring in their slutty group chat and now you got lindsey graham coming through your back door which i don't think anyone should have to be subjected to you know i don't mean to fear monger here but like is it really such an absurd idea to imagine uh you know the the kind of surveillance technology that we have in the private sector not even being in the hands of government Right. But being in the hands of uh, background checkers or employment options, you know, like imagine if you could hire a company to dig into the dirty life of every future employee. Like that's it. I, I, I don't think it's crazy in a world where the Hobby Lobby won a Supreme Court case protecting their freedom to slut shame their employees or whatever it was they were fighting for to play. They didn't want to, uh, they didn't want to pay for the, uh, uh, the birth, birth control, control of, their, yeah. of their slutty employees. Right. They didn't want to be right. Like it's, you know, they just wanted to play judgmental dad or whatever. in some out of control role-playing game. Right. Like, I don't know what was happening there, but we, we said that was okay. We said that it's allowed for an employer to not support uh, the private healthcare choices of their employees. I do not believe that it is a stretch to believe that a country uh, that protects that in a in a much more liberal Supreme Court wouldn't go so far as to say, yeah, I mean, if you don't want to hire perverts, perverts, whatever that means to you, then like you're absolutely allowed to do that. We have a long history in this country um, of labeling our our political. Um, enemies sexual deviance and there's been i mean like we've gone through a couple of different sex panics in this country and so i feel like this is not a moment that we want this is like a cusp of like will we go back to another one or will we continue this sexual revolution that's been happening yeah like some of y'all remember the satanic panic like that was the 80s so like it doesn't feel like that much of a stretch we are experiencing like a trafficking panic right now right where the public fear does not represent the reality, right? We and even can- worse, they're conflating the sex trafficking with sex work when one is just not the other. When they right. go, they create a lot of perverse incentives, right? Like if you conflate Oof. adult consensual prostitution with trafficking, and you make a lot of I don't know federal funding available, if you can say that it's against trafficking, well, now every you know, adult woman that you handcuff because she gave a hand job to somebody for money is suddenly somebody that you get to say you rescued. And that's how 89% of the federal anti-trafficking budget got eaten up in 2018, arresting consensual adults. Mm -hmm. And not helping actual trafficking. Right. Helping nobody. So now what can people do right now? The, the state of the bill, if I'm, if I'm correct, is it's in committee yes. and it was been introduced to the house. I know I called my rep, uh, Josh, mm-hmm. Go- Joshy Gothheimer, the centrist cuck of New Jersey. <laughs> oh, that fuckhead. I called him. I called Cory Booker. I called Bob Menendez. I called my people uh-huh. and said, Hey, I don't fucking want this. Yep. And it's going to affect more than the people you think it does. Yep. Uh, what, what should people be doing? What, I've been getting used to calling a rep. Yeah, so I'm a little more comfortable with it. But what can people do? It's the first time they have no idea what to expect because that yeah, was no, for terrifying. Sure. 
Absolutely, no, it, 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 it's absolutely terrifying. We should keep up um, our screaming into the void. Calling your reps is a great place to start. I really recommend that. I also recommend buttressing efforts in Congress to study the impact and get into the public record the impact of SESTA-FOSTA. And to I was going to bring up Mo- O'Connor's yes. bill. And yes, yeah, so, so that's a great place to start, which is it's you know it's easier for politicians to get behind studying something than it is for them to stand you know, to take like a pro-child porn position, which is essentially like what it's like, it's, you know, uh, understand that it's an ask, but then also support the the judicial fight against SESTA-FOSTA, Woodhall versus US, uh, which is a, a case that's making its way through the appellate court system right now. You can uh, support that by uh, donating to the, the Woodhall Sexual Freedom Foundation. And that's a foundation that is going to fight alongside um, a, lot of, a, a lot of other great orgs. Um, so that's Woodhall, uh, the Woodhall Sexual Freedom Foundation. And of course, you can find more information at decriminalizesex.org. You can watch our video um, about Earn It. It's two minutes long. It's very funny. It's a sheep in wool clothing. It explains what Earn It Act is. It is safe for work. You can spread it. You can email that to all of your friends. Uh, there's no explicit content uh, in our pro or our anti earn it act video. Um, it's just educational. Um, and so I feel like the more people that you get educated about this bill, um, the harder it's going to be. What we don't want to have happen is what happened with SESTA-FOSTA, right? Where 98% of our elected officials on both sides of the aisle voted unanimously. There was no way for us to mount um, a, a, a defense because it was just it was just so overwhelming, uh, and there was absolutely no pushback. We want there. Oh, to- you mean even our liberal hero Bernie Sanders? Came yeah, in? I know, I know. It's even him? Like, yeah, it was hard. I, it's like it's. I hate it when I'm like, no, Rand Paul was right in this. You know what I mean? I hate it when the I have one to time. Be- yeah, there were, there have been like six <laughs> times, but when he's one of two. You know, you got to be like, all right, hats off to, but no, this is seriously a guy who was like, guys, this is, you're just, guys, you, section 230 is like important. Yeah. But besides Ro Khanna's bill to study the effects of FOSSA SESTA, mm-hmm. uh, besides the Earn It Act, is there anything else legislatively going on? Uh, I mean, on a, on a federal level, um, I would just, you know, sign up for decriminalizesex.org's mm. newsletter, um, get get educated. There are a lot of uh, state initiatives to decriminalize sex work or to educate lawmakers about decriminalizing sex work. And yeah, I mean, I wish I wish I had more of a laundry list for you, but no, um, that, that's fantastic. There's an election coming up. It's a big deal. Uh, <laughs> nobody knows. Nobody can look past November and why, why would they? <laughs> it's like i keep shouting about the earn it act and it's like oh man it's like you can't see the concentration camps it's like no i see them and that's why it's so important that we can talk okay <laughs> your your anger is always so entertaining though uh, <laughs> uh so i'll link to all that stuff in the show notes and sure. kaylee you also have a great podcast yourself it's out with a new season i, I personally listen i don't listen to any of my friends shit uh, but really? I do listen occasionally to the oldest profession. <laughs> it makes a lot more sense than this uh, very friendly rant. Thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> so late. I'm like, ah, oh, man, it's been, it's just been a, a scatterbrained day. Uh, do you ever go through, we've all, I, I feel like we all have cabin fever together. I don't know if it's, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just so excited to talk to another person. Thank you so much for having <laughs> me. Play. But yes, I'm out with a uh, third season of the oldest profession podcast. And our very first episode, we did a deep dive on Victoria Woodhall, who is the first woman to run for president in the United States in 1872. And she was mm-hmm. an old pro. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so everyone, go check that out wherever you're listening to the man whore. Uh, please go listen to that. I if you uh, check out the Woodhall episode, but I'm uh, favorite episode of mine was the uh, Sylvester Stallone. Oh. You know, uh, that was a a gem for me. <laughs> yeah, I uh, see. You guys have a lot in common. I get it. Oh yeah, can't you tell our, uh, <laughs> our similar body types, uh, writing abilities? I mean, you both work in show business. <laughs> well, we both shown our business. For sure. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Haven't been on a stage since March, but still don't still got, got it. it. <laughs> well, Caitlin, thanks again for coming up and chatting with us. And I uh, want you to go ahead and say goodbye to everybody. Goodbye. Before we get to this week's guest, Melissa Falavino, let's do the fan whore appreciation moment real quick. Okay. I want to give a shout out right now to Tyler Kochel. Who's, uh, whose Twitter is is mostly drinking accomplishments from an app called Untapped. So, sir, congrats on all the very impressive drinking I guess you're doing. And thanks for supporting the Man Whore Podcast on Patreon. And I want to give a thank you to Zachary Wade. Oh, Zachary Wade. If there were ever like a 90s boy band name, Zachary Wade, that you sound, you sound it. You sound like you just... Just barely didn't make it into the Backstreet Boys. Ah, very impressive. And uh, very impressive that you are an official fan whore on Patreon. Way to go. And you too can become a member and join Tyler and Zachary and yours truly in our private fan whore discussion groups, the Champagne Room, the Peep Show, as well as gain access to over 200 bonus episodes of this show. Join our community, gain access to the bonus episodes, become a member today at patreon.com slash podcast. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash podcast. And now for this week's guest, Melissa Falavino. Melissa is a writer and essayist. She has a new book out called Tomboyland. Let's go fuck with gender with Melissa Falavino. The Man War Podcast is sponsored by HotMovies.com. Uh, HotMovies.com, longtime supporter of this podcast, and I hope you're supporting them too. And right now, they're celebrating the Halloween season. Today and today only, you can get 30% off all clips from their Supernatural category. Yeah, Supernatural category with, uh, with, with titles such as The Summoning, Sacramentum, and Samurai Sluts. Hotmovies.com is not just a place where you can buy really hot and sexy clips from your favorite porn stars from your favorite porn studios featuring all your favorite porn categories, but it's also a pay-per-minute porn site that makes it both an ethical and affordable way to hashtag pay for some of your porn. And you can get 20 bonus minutes on top of any package you sign up for when you go to Hotmovies.com and use promo code MANHORE. One more time, use promo code MANHORE at Hotmovies.com. The Man Whore Podcast is sponsored by altplayground.net, the lifestyle site for your next non-monogamous adventure. Ooh, yeah, adventures, exploration, ooh, sexy. And right now, there's a new way to try out APG. There's a way to have a little bit of a taste of it, just to see what all the hype is about. You can now try the most inclusive and modern lifestyle site today, three days for just $3.99. APG is a hospitable lifestyle site and resource for all sexual orientations, relationship models, and gender identities. 
jump on and experience features like the sexy big wall where you can just share you can just share your butthole with a bunch of strangers if you want to yeah you can enjoy some sex positive content in the podcast corner hey hey shows like uh yours truly the hot mess comedy hour front porch swingers we're all over there so again, try the most inclusive and modern lifestyle site today. Three days for just $3.99 at altplayground.net. Now let's get to the show. And like putting a book out in this, in the, my first book out during the pandemic has been like, I've been able to do a ton of podcasts, which is great. And I do them primarily at home. Also, I recorded my audiobook from a closet inside my apartment. Oh, you got to do your own audiobook? Yes, in the closet, no less. <laughs> did you want to do your own audiobook? Did. did you want someone else's voice? No, no, I really badly wanted to do it. And um, so there was actually an audition process. Yeah. because they have like actors who do this shit mm-hmm. and um so I, aud- I had to audition i recorded like my own um sample sent it in i got the part and then <laughs> the p- pandemic happened and what was supposed to happen is they were going to fly me to their studio in michigan and i was going to spend a week in a recording studio with a director and shit and um and then they were like sorry we can't do this anymore because of the pandemic so we're going to have to just go with an actor. And I was like, wait, <laughs> you know, like, listen, I'm in Brooklyn, but the construction has stopped. Like, it's, <laughs> it's eerily silent. I have a recorder. I have, like, basic audio abilities. I've got a good mic. So mm-hmm. I built a little studio in my closet, hung blankets, and then a director um, Skyped in. And I figured out a way to, like, jury rig it so that I could monitor and he could monitor me. Right. So he was like listening to my recording. And I didn't so, even know audiobooks had a director. I know. I know. Well, I think like some of them probably don't, but he was pro. He, he, he's done like film and video and whatever. And so he could cut in and be like, can we do that last bit? Yeah. You know, start at the top or whatever. Give it a little more feeling. <laughs> so that was fun. And how's the, how's the response been to the book? Pretty good so far, you know. Knock on wood. Um, oh, I'm sorry. That's this is. There's no way this is real wood. Knock on uh, laminate. <laughs> it's, it's all. I mean, it fooled me. It's nice laminate. Um, yeah, it's been good. Uh, overall, pretty positive so far. I've gotten some good reviews and outlets that I really had no business having my book in, like NPR and Washington Post, and um, overwhelmingly positive reviews on like all the trade shit and. Um, so yeah, so so far so good. Yeah, well, well, good time to say it. I'm sitting down right now with a essayist and Midwesterner, uh, as as you put it on your own website, yes. <laughs> Melissa Falavino, uh, or Falavina. If you were <laughs> going, do you? Uh, <laughs> I'm surprised that's not in the book. Do you care, shared that? We, so before we started, when we were off mic, we were comparing our Italian last names and how they were supposed to be pronounced, and I did my whole shtick, but. Yours was, do you care to share that story? Yeah, of course. So, you know, the Italian last name should be pronounced Falivena, but of course, when my grandparents uh, came to the States from Naples, they decided uh, to pronounce it Falivino. But the story goes even further that they were in Newark. And, uh, you know, for some reason, my grandfather changed our name, which had been Falivena, to Falivino. And um, the story goes that somebody else down the street had the same last name. There were two Falivenas on the street. So my grandfather, you know, changed the name so they would stop messing up the mail. My grandparents have been long dead. Uh, 
and I have, I don't remember when this was, but it was like, you know, years ago, I was like sitting around with my, my remaining Italian family and my cousins and we were recounting the story and they were like, no, no, that's not the story at all. It was just that we had this feminine <laughs> last name and he wanted to make it more masculine. So he changed it from an A to an O. And I was like, wait, what, what, what's the actual story? But as I was saying earlier, it feels on brand for me with my lean toward the masculine. So I just sort of embrace the, uh, you know, we're Falavino now or the. Or even just the relationship to, you know, to gender and presentation. Just it seems like that that was a that was a nice way to begin to set setting you up. It feels like, uh, you know, that <laughs> that part of you started long before you were born. It was, yeah, maybe, you know, the, uh, the it's, it's in my it's in my blood, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> but I do have these like weird, you know, like visions of my grandfather being like, you know, like just deciding he he needed his last name to be more masculine. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was saying I was like, I like the idea of like he was getting teased on the bocce ball court yeah, or something. Yeah, 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 hey, like, oh. <laughs> hey, Mike. <laughs> oh, Falavina. Falavina. Go, yeah, go toss that ball like a girl. Uh, like you a- ain't got balls. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Italians, you know, not known for uh, being nice to feminine men. Nope, so- <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Did you know your grandfather? Very, like very little. He passed away when I was 12. Um, actually, I think my grandmother passed away when I was 12. I think he died when I was seven. Mm. He lived in... Um, New Jersey, we by then were in Wisconsin. You, uh, oh, okay. I was going to add because I'm also from, I'm also Italian Jersey. from North Jersey. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we're everywhere. I mean, mostly in North Jersey, but um, yeah, they were in Newark. They moved to Orange. That's where my dad, Orange. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. My dad grew up in Orange um, and he moved down to Florida as Italians from Jersey do. That's where he met my mother mm-hmm. who was from Wisconsin uh, who had left Wisconsin to go to Florida. They met each other down there, came back to Wisconsin, and that's where I grew up. So, like, we were the only Italian family in my small Midwestern hometown. Uh, it was all, like, Norwegians, and, like, everyone was named Sutter and Anderson, it's and, like, Gunderson. It's a lot of Nordic. Yep, 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 yep. And they were it's like, a lot of Nordic, but then, like, I feel like, I don't know, is it, I don't know if it's Somalia or what, but there, it feels like a lot of Africans end up also... Out like in Wisconsin. Yeah, definitely. Just not in my town. Uh, or really, you know, like it's just like I grew up in a very white town. I think we had one black family. And um, yeah, so like my last name was like super exotic. The fact that I am, you know, darker complexioned, have this like olive skin. They were like, what? Yeah. What are you? <laughs> anyway, your question was about my grandfather. <laughs> I think I only saw him like maybe a handful of times before he passed away because we would we would drive out to New Jersey and see my dad's family. But so there wasn't too much opportunity for him to have like maybe an influence on your thoughts on masculinity and femininity. Not really. I mean, I my recollections of him are like not unlike my maternal grandfather, like very silent kind of, you know, this sort of like stoic man um who didn't do a lot of talking and that's Mm. kind of my recollection but he was a barber um he had his own shop in um newark maybe orange actually basically he cut the hair of all of the other you know italians Mm. in town and uh my dad and his brothers grew up like working in the barber shop and sweeping up clippings and another thing that i didn't learn until much later i was like oh what a wholesome a wholesome little life you know a barbershop and the boys hanging out 
you know, making making quarters for sweeping up hair clippings, and then I found out like they basically they they were running numbers. Out of, the, of course, like, of, course of course they were, but like I never what? knew that. <laughs> like <laughs> you know, right? They're like not, they're never just cutting they're hair. Never they're cutting never hair. just doing anything. No. There's always a side. Yes, thing. I don't just do a podcast. Yeah, I, right, used to, right. I used to do blackjack <laughs> in my mom's basement. We like, all hustle, <laughs> right? Yeah, their hustle was numbers, and they, my dad. Actually, my dad didn't tell me the story. One of my uncles told me the story of, of my grandfather, like, tucking the numbers into one of my uncle's, like, breast pockets <laughs> of his shirt and, like, go deliver or whatever, whatever you do with the numbers. I don't actually know. But, like, that was, again, one of these stories that I found out later. And it was, like, when you enter that magical sort of moment when your family looks at you like an adult and, like, they just start telling you adult things and you're like what what it crushes you it's yes because it makes me feel like uh you lied to me this whole time i know like, you find out this uncle struggles with this right. substance you're like what i right. just thought he was really upbeat and into rap music right. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah you know you find out this person cheats on that person and yep. you just like it, it, it's like finding out santa claus isn't real yes. when you're 18 yes totally like all of the all of the understandings of your family are crushed yeah that's real yeah, were there, were there any other revelations like that uh, as you you know were in adulthood? Um, fewer on my dad's side. I think I think more happened on my mom's side, and that you know that's when it's like we started. I started hearing more stories about like you know the people who were alcoholics and like you know who died really young of alcoholism, and I had never heard that before, and. So that kind of stuff, you know. The, My uh, stuff was like, we just, oh, this great uncle, you just don't leave the kids around with him. And I was like, what? Oh, you're going to tell me this now? Jesus. Not then? That would be something to tell you when <laughs> yeah. you're young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I can't believe you're telling me this now. But it's like, <laughs> do, and do you have that? Cut? Like, are you like, why didn't you tell me? And did uh, it? You know, I mean, so that particular one was a guy who I like basically never saw. I probably met once when I was a kid. But yeah, so it never, it probably, I probably would have heard more about it if it was relevant but it was just like weird you find out these big family secrets or you found oh no this person that was not the roommate there you know they're gay like it's that type of stuff for sure it's so weird to to have that parsed out to you later in life when i don't know i think we can trust kids to just accept a lot of stuff you know yeah we don't give kids enough credit like i I think that like there's this tendency to protect them from everything and like they they know anyway for like nine times out of ten they're familiar with things that you think that I, I don't know. Yeah, they go like especially and especially in today's age with like sex and everything. It's like yeah. they, they know. Like oh yeah, you got I mean, the YouTube. What the- <laughs> you gave them a smartphone? You thought they played Candy Crush? Yeah, no, they're no, watching no. porn. Yeah. yeah, that's just what's yeah. happening. Yeah, and like on TikTok, and I, I don't even know what happens on TikTok, but I know they're probably seeing body parts yeah. at the very least. <laughs> I'm like well, the only person not on TikTok. I, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't handle one more social media platform. Well, you know, it, I guess similarly, like when you, whenever you came, like how old were you when you came out to your family? Oh, well, uh, let's see. I'm 37 now. So 37. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't actually ever come out. I, until this book came out. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a, basically what I did was like, I sent my parents the galleys of my book a couple months before. What's galleys? Like excerpts? Uh, the or? like advanced reading copies. Oh, like that type of a thing? Yeah, yeah, exactly, okay. gotcha. exactly. So you send it out to reviewers and stuff. And so it was landing in strangers' laps and on strangers' desks. And I was like, okay, they're going to find out some stuff about me in this book that they don't know, or at least that I've never told them. Mm-hmm. 
like lots of it. So my plan had been to, they're still in Wisconsin in the town where I grew up. My plan had been to go out to Wisconsin, bring them the book, sit them down, have a whole talk and be like, hey, listen, I'm queer. This is what that means. Also, all of this other shit happened in my life and the book deals with it. Here's why I didn't tell you. Like, hopefully the book will make that more clear. Basically doing to them what has been done to you with all the other family secrets. Yes, kind of exactly. Stuff, right? yeah, like, surprise. Yeah, no, but, but, but seriously, it's like yeah, yeah. That, that's when it comes to like coming out, whether it's about being queer or gender identity or even it's like we're po- I'm polyamorous and yeah. this is relevant because now there's another person you have to meet. Right. Whatever it is, it's like we have the opportunity to pull those shenanigans on our parents exactly. and family as well. Right. So how'd they respond Pay or back. what ended up happening? You said that was the plan. That was the plan, yeah. So then COVID happened uh-huh. and so I could no longer fly out to Wisconsin as was my plan. So I sent them two copies of the, rev- the, 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 the galley <clears throat> and then wrote them like, a seven page letter and and just sort of said like the same thing that I had planned to tell them in person, which was, you know, you're going to find out some stuff. And my hope is that, you know, we don't have a super close relationship, but it's gotten closer the last couple of years. And, um, you know, my hope is that like, you'll read this stuff and you'll know me a little bit better. And then I sent it off and they read, um, concurrently so they each read a copy and and so as they would finish an essay i would get for my mom i would get little texts Mm. when she finished each essay and when she finished the essay called tomboy which is about my sexuality and my gender identity she sent me this text that was really sweet and really supportive and um and just like that was great and then she sent little texts along the way my dad was silent he did not send me texts, um, but I knew he was reading. So you when know, because like mom's saying like, oh, dad sees outside reading he, the book or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He like, she, I think we like checked in once too. And like they said, oh, we're both reading the book. But um, then when they finished it, we we have a phone call every Sunday. And that that particular Sunday after they'd finished it, we had like a three hour phone call wherein we basically processed everything that they learned mm-hmm. in the book. And we talked about stuff that we have never talked about and that like I had, they didn't know. Um, and, you know, my mom sort of said like, well, I always had a feeling, you know, cause look at me, you know, and, <laughs> and also I think she stalks me on Twitter and I am of course, which is like this totally like, this is a thing so true of this generation. Like I'm more out on social media than I am with my actual like family. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I talk about queerness on social media, but I think for a long time it was like, well, they're not on Twitter. They're yeah, not older people see in Wisconsin this. not known for being on Twitter. Nope. Uh, but she was lurking. And so I think, you know, she was like, well, you know, I saw some things and I saw you use that word queer, you know. And, and at one time, I think it was like after Trump got elected and I went to like a rally, I posted something on Facebook, which, yep. Yeah, I'm barely on, but mm. they are. Yeah, which isn't that the weird thing? That yes. They are super on Facebook. Oh, and we're so like, oh. on Facebook. And I just like not <laughs> on it at all. And like I forced myself to be to promote this book. It's mm. just terrible. But um, I had like posted something about like, as you know, said something like as a queer woman. And my mom said like she was getting like messages being like, what does that mean? 
Uh, <laughs> like, what, what, do you, what do you mean? What does that mean? What's what's there to parse from? That? I know, right? It's not um, like I had something like that once where I got last year. I got interviewed uh, for an article for New York Times on like um, comedians who have done some kind of sex work, right? Okay. So there's like yep. you know there's the guy who used to do stripping, the former porn star, or whatever. Yes. Um, I got I have one line in the whole article and uh, from all the whatever we talked about, she only ended up using a quote. That's fine. I'm in the Times. Good clip. Yeah. Uh, but she refers to me as comedian Billy Presida, former sex worker. Yeah. Does it all the other people? She says what they did. Me. I'm just former sex worker. <laughs> no clarification, which I don't care. Yeah. I share a name with my father. Oh, we shit. get the same Google alerts. Oh, man. So I get a call. I'm driving back from this gig in Kentucky. I'm driving through West Virginia. And I get this call. It's like, Billy, you know, did you uh, did you see this this New York Times article? <laughs> they called you a sex worker. Do you know they called you that? <laughs> did, did, do you know? Because I just want. I was like, and I tried to like mutter out like, oh, yeah, you know, I did some like camming in college. Whatever. Yeah. It's not a big deal. Yeah. You know, and he's like, oh, OK, so long as you know that they called you that <laughs> as if like they insulted me. Oh, man, that's awesome. Did he so did he know I mean, like, that you I had done under, that? I still don't he think he understands. OK, what did they respond in that sit down? You know, what did or in sorry, in the call? What did they respond to best? And what was more difficult for them to kind of respond to well you know the sexuality stuff was actually they were you know it, it wasn't like they were like i like effusive about it but they were like oh yeah you know my mom was like yeah yeah i kind of knew i'm sorry to interrupt but i am a fake smart person what does effusive mean <laughs> oh like like really sort of like um oh god well, how would you say it like over the top like gotcha. um, okay. really excited really like um, enthusiastic. Okay, cool. It wasn't like that, but it was like, you know, almost like a non-starter. They were like, okay, you know, and, and my mom, I think, you know, said basically I kind of had a feeling. And then my dad in like good sort of like Italian, Jersey Italian uh, uh, sort of way, he was like, you know, I always had a problem with that, that word queer. It just... You know, I, it's just what the wise guys used to call each other, you know, and then like it was an insult. And, uh, and then, you know, I, I just like, I, it makes me uncomfortable. And I was like, yeah, me too. That's kind of what that, that, that essay was about. Like right. the, the inherent discomfort with that word and like reclaiming it. And that's what we do. And he was like, but you know, I, I like bisexual, bisexual. <laughs> I like, and it was, it was like, I laughed and he was like, oh, I, I, I like it. I, I, I get that. And it was like, there's a definition, you there's know, no and trauma like, attached to bisexual. No, exactly. And it's just sort of like, oh, that makes sense. You like women and men, you know, of course there's like a lot more to that. And it's the definition yeah, yeah. for me is, is beyond men and women, but like, like, well, like that, one thing at a time for him, yep. right? Yeah. Like you get it and you're and cool with angry. it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Also, he's been talking about putting a Black Lives Matter sign in their lawn. And I'm like, yes, yeah. awesome. There's there there's one other yard that has a Black Lives Matter sign in our neighborhood in Mount Hart, Wisconsin. I'm like, you guys just just do it. Do it. So he said he's going to do it. <laughs> but what was more difficult <clears> for the or, or if anything was difficult? Was there anything that was like tough for them to yeah. accept or process? There's an essay in the book where basically, like, I talk about this, like, um, growing up, I was, like, I was really into softball. I played softball, of course. Um, I had planned to play softball in college at the University of Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. It was, like, my trajectory. I was going to be 
like as professional as a as a softball fast pitch softball player as he can be. Yeah. And um and throughout the essay I sort of reveal that when I was in high school I had this inappropriate relationship with my softball coach who was also my one of my high school teachers. And um and that was like completely unknown to them. Mm. And I don't even tell the whole story about that in the essay. I just kind of mention it and I talk about how like it's a really common thing, I think, to be a girl and to like latch on to older men as sort of this like, I don't know, like um, symbol of like acceptance and um like, you know, when you're a girl, you want to be the object of affection and attraction. And essentially you learn to be the object of male desire. Mm. And um, so I was like obsessed with him. And we had this like flirtation throughout my entire high school career, basically. Mm. Which then went on to um, be something else. But I didn't include that whole story in in the um, essay because it was just part of it, you know. And that was the thing that they were like, uh, we had no idea, you know, and like, and I think it really devastated them. You know, they were like, my mom kept saying things like, I wish I could have done something. I wish I would have been there. You know, I, I always kind of thought there was something there, but I never said anything, you know, I didn't want to push you away. So that was the thing I think that like was much harder for them to take. Mm. I think because like they had no idea that I was experiencing that and going through it. And also they trusted him and, you know, as my coach and my, my teacher and, um, and I did too. And like, there's a, there's a breaking of trust there. And I think it was like, they were confronted with their parental inability to protect me. Yeah. Cause like you being queer doesn't like, I mean, unless you think you believe in the whole, you know, nurture versus nature stuff, you know, unless you believe in that, it doesn't really reflect upon their parenting. Right. What does it say about me? Right. Exactly. And that, you know, and then other people who have responded to that, like, it's interesting because I haven't, like I said, I haven't gotten like many, any, many negative responses, but people have latched onto that and had that question like, well, where were your parents? You know, like, like, it's such a strange question. Like, do you really think that parents know everything about their kids at all times? And like, what, what, um, what age are you in? Is this high school? High school. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so this question of like, well, where were your parents? Like, you know, I think it's really common for a lot of, for high school kids to keep secrets from their parents, <laughs> you know? And so there's, there's this like reaction that's just like, well, you know, what was happening? How, how could this happen? And like, it happens all the yeah. all the time. Do you assign any blame to your parents for no. what happened with that? No, yeah. because I also know that like I, as a teenager, I was like highly precocious and, you know, went out and got what I wanted and like that's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I don't, I don't, you know, I do think of it as sort of like a grooming situation, but I also think of it as like, I had a thing for older married men for a long time, you know, and that continued through my, my, um, young adulthood. And like, so I can see that as sort of like a, I had a role in it, even though I was a kid and, um, I don't blame myself certainly, but I don't blame them either. You know, Well, it sounds like you take 
some some portion of responsibility for what happened with that. Yeah, you know, and that it's been a an interesting um like journey to that understanding. And a lot of that came from therapy when I was just like talking about this with my therapist and I was like I kept using the word grooming and I was like grooming grooming grooming. And she was like, "Let's take a step back from this word that you've heard a lot of about and like and like talk about yourself as an agent and like, you know, when you're 18 years old as an agent." Mm. Uh, because, you know, she's very big on like giving, you know, not putting yourself on the victim. She has a triangle of victim, perpetrator, hero. Yeah, I know the triangle. I've bounced around that triangle. <laughs> oh, it is yeah. hard Don't to phase out oh, of it, man. but it is, is freeing to learn. Oh, you just have to, instead of bouncing to different spots, just get out. Yes, get yourself off the triangle. That's what she always says. She's like, eh. Yeah. I'll say something to be like, I think you're on the triangle. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you're right. You're uh, totally right. A friend who I was hoping would come be a hero was like, here's the triangle. Here's what happens. And I'm not going to come be your hero yes. because then I get sucked into the triangle. I'll right. help you phase out of it, but I'm not going to get in. I was like, oh, that's. It's such a useful thing. I it, That was that was a really, really fucking helpful thing to learn for yep. a lot of other you know, engagements I would get into later. But Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, um, totally. So, so she's trying to get you out of that triangle and actually examine what happened and who's, yeah. what the roles were. And, yeah. And like to see myself as like a sexual being even when I was underage, you know, which is like, which is true. You are a sexual being when you're a teenager, but like being able to recognize like what, what was wrong and what, like what was, you know, behavior that was out of my control and was not my fault. And then also to look at like my own agency. So it sounds like you used to, or I mean, maybe still now, uh, we'll get there, but it's like, yeah. it sounds like going from when it happened to now in between, did you, you might've fluctuated on yes. how you felt about yeah, the whole yeah, yeah. thing. For like a long time, I was like, I was the perpetrator. I did this, you know, I went out and I like got him. Yeah. It was, like, was it like a pride thing? Like, yes. oh, this is a thing. Yep, I, I'm yeah. going to go snag that married man. And like, and, and I thought that because then I had this like really super self-destructive streak for like 10 years where I like I I repeated that behavior over and over again like that was my sort of root behavior and then I went out and I would just like find like older married dudes and try to conquer them and it was like this control thing that I had because I was very out of it and it was like well if I can do that you know then I'll have some sort of power in this world that keeps fucking me over and so when I thought about that I was like well he was just you know a victim and, you know, I, I just like went out and got it because I think that I was still in that space where I saw myself as like a creature with, with power, hmm. like as a, like a 16 year old girl, I think she has power, you know, and like. What and, limited power do you have? Like as a young, as a young woman or a young adult woman, then like your pussy. Exactly. Like, it's right? the only power you have. And then, and, and well, you think it's power and then you quickly realize that it's not power, you know? And so I think there was like, there's definitely a period of time where I was like, I was the perpetrator. I did that. It was my fault. I, you know, if anyone finds out, uh, his life will be ruined. Then it sounds like you read a Bustle article that had the word <laughs> grooming in it. And you were like, grooming? I was groomed, you know? <laughs> and that's true. Like, something happened where, like, I was talking to friends, I think, and it was very, like, useful to reframe it. And it was like, listen, you were a kid, and, like, he took advantage of you. Mm. And, and I was like, oh, maybe, 
you know, and then and then I think I sort of got kind of swept up in that narrative, and then and that was the narrative I used, mm. and then in a therapy session, actually not so long ago, that's when she was like, okay, let's back up and like, let's think about this. And maybe it's not as cut and dry as either one of those narratives. Maybe there's something else going on. Do you, so do you look back at this affair in a positive light, a negative light? How how do you, how do you look back on it now? Definitely not positive. Um, but you know, not always negative either it's just sort of a thing that happened and it informed a lot of my life and i think you know it fucked me up for a while and and i went down this path of like you know really just like this like habit with men um you know just really risky sex drinking drugs self-harm you know i was a wreck for m- m- most of my 20s you know aren't we all but like a an acute wreck mm. for like my the first five years of my 20s would you go after married women in the same way nope no nope no it was always a men thing and i write about this in the book a little bit this like which i think you know it took me a long time to realize that like as i was sort of discovering my queerness and like figuring out, oh, I'm bisexual. Like the way that I wanted men was much different than the way that I wanted women. Mm. And the desire takes a different shape. What are those two different types of desire? I think with, with like with men, there is this sort of like, there's a, there's more of an inherent power dynamic that I'm attracted to, you know? And like, because the women that I'm attracted to, like look a lot like me, same shape. <laughs> You know, same, uh, roughly same size. Looks like they could help you fix a bike. Exactly. (laughs) Like on the butch end of things, not like, not like super butch. I don't see a keychain, but like, listen, oh, oh, the carabiner. It was hiding. (laughs) It was hiding the ring of keys, Alison Bechdel. Love that song. Um. (laughs) Uh, That's so my jam. Um, (laughs) My friend Gina and I always talk about the ring of keys and being attracted to butch women everyone go read and or listen to fun home (laughs) yes please immediately um but yeah so like the women that i'm attracted to tend to look like me we tend to be like the same size same shape there's there's like more of like bodily like we're on the same level Mm -hmm. the power see we seem more equal i feel more equal you know um even though truth be told the women that i've dated have been much stronger than me um but with men, I am definitely like I'm attracted to an inherent power dynamic. And, and like a lot of that is about like, I don't know, being a bottom, you know, and um, and I'm not necessarily a bottom with women, um, but with men, I typically am. And like um, and having that like an attraction to a sort of dangerous, a potentially dangerous power dynamic, mm-hmm. which I think is why I got into BDSM. Um, where how'd the parents take that? <laughs> they didn't mention it actually, <laughs> but uh, you know what's true is that they knew because um, when I was younger, when I was in my twenties, and I was living in Madison, Wisconsin, still in college, I started writing for the local alt weekly Isthmus, and for some reason, the editors gave me like carte blanche to write about whatever I wanted to, and so <laughs> right, and I was like, mm, I'm going to write about interesting subcultures and 
So then I went and wrote about the BDSM scene, got involved with it, you know, ostensibly to write about it, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I'm just at this orgy for an article. <laughs> what? Legit. I wouldn't just be here. That's what I said. <laughs> and in the in the article, I wrote it like a fucking, like, you know, I'm just this immersive journalism who's going to be a fly on the wall. But, you know, what was really happening was I was going to parties and I was going to clubs and I was like getting into it. And I was, we were, I had a boyfriend at the time and we were like inviting people over from Craigslist and we were polyamorous and, you know, we were just like everything. Um, but I, I wrote this piece for the Alt Weekly that was just like, look at this world of kink in Madison, Wisconsin. So they knew that I had dabbled in it. I don't think they knew that it was so much a part of my life mm. for those years, like, that was not clear to them. I also talk about very specific things in that essay, like fisting <laughs> and like being tied up and being on like a St. Andrew's cross and whipped. Which, by the way, parents need to be okay hearing about fisting. Yeah. I think if you're also fine hearing about like, oh, I'm pregnant, I'm going to give birth. Like, For are these sure. not the same similar expansions of the vaginal canal? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I there's Which, like my similar yeah. beef by the way is with office culture it's like oh we're not supposed to talk about our sex lives but you can tell us oh yeah Jim and I are trying so you're fucking yeah yes like, I don't care either way let's just pick a rule because either like I don't hear your shit and I'll fucking shut up about yes. orgies or I can talk about the threesome I had last night and you can tell me how much you want to you know get some gunk up in your puss <laughs> you know just pick one but they're the same thing. Yes. We're both talking about fucking. 100%. 100%. The only way that people talk about sex, I mean, puritanical people talk about sex, which but is- we're trying to make a life. I mean, technically we could by accident right. uh, if <laughs> it yeah, goes yeah. wrong. <laughs> that's like, that, that, that we're trying, we're trying. And like, how do you not, when you think, when you hear someone say that we're trying, do you not think- of them having sex with their partner every night. Like I mean, you're not trying. To, not to bring up Louie, <laughs> but like Louie has that joke. You know, he oh, goes yeah. like, well, when you say the N-words, like you're putting that word in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, that's what that is. So, yeah. And then my sister, you know, she's pregnant now. And I said, when they were trying, I was like, Morgan, you're basically just telling me that you and Andy are fucking, which is cool. <laughs> of, of all the family members, I'm pretty sure it's coolest with me, but yeah. it's just like, you know, just know that that's what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. No, totally. <laughs> but like, as soon as you talk about fisting and like- <laughs> You know, and there's also obviously like, you know, uh, homophobia happening where like I'm talking about fisting a woman and they're like horrified by the act of fisting, horrified by the implication of homosexual yeah. lesbianism. It's you like, know? why can't you be a good Christian and just fist a man? Yeah, right. <laughs> obviously. Uh, yeah. But like what's true, you know, for people like us and like people who live in New York and, you know, it's not it's nothing, you know, it's just, a, it's just a way of life. It's just a thing. And it's way weirder as a New Yorker to hear about someone purchasing a home than hearing about fisting. For sure. Right. You, or like, like fisting, you'd be like, sure. You, yeah, yeah. Oh, we, well, we just put a down payment on a house. What? <laughs> How does that even work? How yeah. does it happen? <laughs> yeah. I mean, truly same with having children. Like my, my friends talk about having kids. I'm just like, how could you possibly, how could you do that? And like, like both, bodily and financially i just don't understand <laughs> it like and it, like where i come from everyone's just like oh you, you know you yeah. you do the thing you get married <laughs> you have the babies whatever but like you talk about fisting and they're yeah. just like scandalized and the it, one like negative reaction like to my face that i have had f a, about the book i won't say who it was but um 
somebody that like is close to me, but is hyper puritanical and was just like referred to the book as disgusting. And I was like, oh, honey, you have to deal with some shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. That's not about me. (laughs) It it was interesting earlier you used the word, um, referred to yourself as a bottom, Mm. which now I'm not... Oh, I'm not heavily in like the BDSM scene, so maybe I'm missing something that I would pick up at a munch. But I, you know, we don't frequently hear women refer to themselves as a bottom. Right. It's almost like an assumed part of your sex life, right? right. People just assume, well, like, oh, you're the bottom. Right, that's right, the, right. That's the lady part. You receive. You're right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you know, when I was in the BDSM scene, we used sub a lot. Right. You know, so it was either dom or sub. But like bottom, we're normally hearing that like amongst like queer dudes. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And I mean, honestly, I think a lot of that, the way that I like, this is something I'm still working out. And Mm -hmm. I think our sexualities and our gender identities, because I think they're fluid, I think we're like constantly defining, you know, what we are and, and how we exist in the world. But like, I definitely, when I think of like, when I imagine myself, sometimes I feel so much more akin to a gay man than I do a gay woman, you know, like, like something I just like feel a little bit more akin and, you know, I don't, I don't identify as trans and, um, you know, but it's not off the table, but, but do you like, identify as cisgender or are you in the non-binary? I call myself of? gender queer. Okay. Um, I'm not, re- not really sure where that falls. You know, I've tried on non-binary, um, but I usually just say gender queer. The last person I record with also referred to like use that kind of phrasing like trying on a label. Yeah, Try, yeah. like in literally was like yeah, I tried on nine binary, and then eventually they they've come out. Uh, you know, he's come out as, as a as a trans man. Yeah, uh, identifying as gender queer, trying that on. Like, how does that feel to you? Like, because I keep hearing this phrase like almost experiencing gender. Yeah, and I only experience gender when people just like place manness upon me yeah 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 well i think that's like a huge part of it like people putting their own sort of interpretation on you so it's not like a wake up in the day and like i'm feeling this it's more like not for me i mean i know that that is the experience of a lot of people mm-hmm. but like for me it's just sort of like i feel like i exist in this space that is both masculine and feminine okay erring on the side of masculine most of the time. Like I don't feel femininity very often. Um, So I, I kind of feel like I live in this, this realm of masculinity and like I, I embody that masculinity. Um, And some days I actually like feel very conscious of it. And some days I don't like Mm -hmm. most days I would say I just kind of exist in my body and I don't think about like, how I'm presenting or how I'm, you know, whatever the signifiers I'm wearing. But when someone like if I get misgendered or if someone like interacts with me in a weird way, that's when I'm like, oh, right. Like I um, I remember that the way that my body exists in the world looks a certain way mm-hmm. or like appears a certain way that like people look at me and, you know, make their own interpretations, which when I'm at my most butch, is usually I get interpreted as a man. Um, so, and then when I'm, and then I write about this in the book too, like when I'm walking down the street with my partner, who's a cisgendered man, like we've been mistaken for a gay male couple before. Mm-hmm. Like I tell the story of getting into a cab and like, I think this is now happened a couple of times where like the driver's like, where are you fellas heading? I'm just, I'm just like, you know, I talk to him like, how do you feel about that? <laughs> he's fine with it at this how point. How do you feel about that? 
Um, you know, this essay tomboy, like is basically trying to figure out how I feel about it. And at this point, it doesn't like it doesn't actually bother me. And then what some of the things that I grapple with in that is like, when I get called a lady feels worse than when I get called a man, Mm -hmm. you know, which is weird. Um, You know, I just like I cringe like and I just feel like so uncomfortable when people are like, you know, when you're at a restaurant and I'm with like other women and they're like, ladies, what can I get for you? And I'm like, or (laughs) ma'am. Yeah. Can I get you another water? Gross. Ew. Don't call me (laughs) ma'am. And not just because like that feels matronly, but like, ew, it just feels ew for me. Um, So I think that like that's worse than when I get called sir. What what was the first questioning you even had about? you and gender i think it was when i was playing roller derby which is like for the first time so (laughs) we we got there um i played roller derby for like five years and three to four of them were in madison wisconsin and that was well i had like a like a re-emergence of self when i was playing derby like i cut off all my hair i had a really short haircut much shorter than it is now um, I was like in really great shape. I was super athletic. Um, and I just like started wearing masculinity a little bit more in my daily life. And that was when I like first fell in love with a woman and she was also like super androgynous. And, um, that was really when I was like, oh, my gender might be kind of complicated, you know? And like, I, I still called myself a woman. I still, you know, I still sort of thought of myself as like female, but like de facto, I guess, you know, like because I always had. Um, but that's when I started like hearing the word gender queer and like had friends who played derby with me who identified as gender queer and started having conversations that like most people have in college that I just got to a little later. I was like, tell me about this yeah, gender think, queer. But also, when you were in college, like these, this, this type of terminology wasn't more widespread. It wasn't no. just readily available. No. We weren't talking about. No. Forget about, I mean, you know, forget about um, the difference between all of them. I don't think we were even saying really any of those no, words as we much. we weren't. And I, was t- and I took like one women's studies class in college. And even that, like that was like edgy, you know? Yeah. I like went to shop at like the lesbian bookstore and was like, ooh. I'm at the lesbian bookstore and it was very exciting, but I also felt like super countercultural, mm-hmm. especially in Madison. Um, and yeah, so it was not part of the conversation. I was also just like, until that point I was hanging out with predominantly straight people. Um, but I was existing in the BDSM world and roller derby around the same time. So I was really discovering my sexuality, like experimenting, you know, like sleeping with a lot of women sleeping with a lot of men, um, figuring out that I enjoyed both. Uh, and then, and then really like fell in love with a woman was like, Oh, I also have the capacity to fall in love with women, which Mm -hmm. I didn't know until that point. Um, and, and so the sort of discovery of sexuality and gender identity kind of happened concurrently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, what what do you see as the difference between genderqueer and non-binary and gender non-conforming? And because you, you said a lot of <laughs> I, I've read some things you said about like labels and the yeah. fluidity of labels yeah. and you know how like it's kind of almost like a human thing to want to kind of classify ourselves, but yes. how that can change. 
I, I'm torn personally in that I feel like some things are and some things are not. And then some things are very fluid. Right. Uh, you know, I know that the frame on this, on this poster is black. Some days I might say like it's ebony Mm -hmm. or some variation of black, but it's, it's still a black frame. You know, I, I wouldn't ever say like, oh, now it feels like it's a green frame today. Yeah. And, there are objective, there are like objective yeah, truths. Yeah, and when or, it comes to identity, I don't know where, what things are objectively true and then what things are more subjective. Yeah. I mean, I think for- I'm open My by the way, I know my face might look like sometimes that, you know, oh, we don't know where he stands. <laughs> I'm open to whatever. I'm just like, uh, no, getting no. some kind of consensus at some point I feel like would be helpful for me to understand them and, and yeah. my relationship to those terms. Well, I think p- part of the confusion is that like there isn't a definition for for anything, mm-hmm. right? Like we, like language, we create meaning. We create words, and we and then we create the meaning. And like mm-hmm. the meaning of words can change um, based on like morphology. You know, not to get too nerdy into linguistics, but like colloquialisms, the way we use words. Merriam-Webster adds something to the dictionary and it's now a word, even though we've been using it in certain circles forever. Or they change the, the meaning of the word literally to mean the opposite uh, of the word literally. Right? It's like, Sometimes the change is not good. And, and that's, and that's <laughs> But that's where I kind of get to. Where people go like, words can mean whatever. And then I point to something like that and I go yeah. like, th- that's what happens yeah. if they just mean whatever. Yeah. I'm not trying to be like uh, mm-hmm. oppressive in it. I'm almost like, I will celebrate whatever, but can we get some definition? <laughs> but then maybe the definition you know not having a definition is the point it just i don't know like we can't be mad at people for being confused if like it's inherently supposed to be confusing yeah and i think that like you know because we add we 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 develop new words that like you know there is there is going to be some built-in confusion stuff but like i think the the reason that we have gender queer and then we have non-binary and then we have gender fluid like i think they all fit under the same umbrella in like the the large umbrella of gender non-conforming is kind of how I see it. Like whatever gender you, you know, present or identify as is is somehow not in line with either your biological sex or like what is expected of you, you know, if you're a woman, yeah. you know, whatever. Um and so I think people keep like developing different ways to say it. And I think a lot of it is just because, I don't know, when you're trying to define yourself, it's, it can be really hard to like stick yourself in, in one, you know, one box. And it's like, if, if the nature of the thing we're trying to describe is fluid, how do you contain it? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, how do we possibly create one word to contain all of these identities? If there weren't gendered expectations of man and woman, um, if, if someone, you know, if someone's biological sex then then dictate what their gender was supposed to be or even whatever, forget that, you know, whatever gender someone identifies as, if there weren't all these expectations of that gender, uh-huh. whatever it is, do you think we would need these terms like are these terms because do you think these terms are almost like temporary placeholders why we why we dismantle the concept of gender that could be i mean i think that like if you know in this like idyllic world where we weren't you know didn't have fucking gender reveal parties and like (laughs) didn't you know didn't raise kids to like identify pink with girl and blue with boy and like Mm -hmm. you get the truck and you get the doll which people still fucking do everywhere um 
like there wouldn't be a this expectation of that is what girl is, that is what boy is, or this inherent conflict that like when you start to feel like, wait, 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 I'm a girl, but I hate the Barbie and I hate pink and I hate all these things, which are super simplistic Mm -hmm. breakdowns, but like there wouldn't be this like identity crisis and there wouldn't be a need to find a word that fits if like we just got rid of the fucking words. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think that like it's all very um, amorphous, you know, it's all changing. It's all fluid. It's all like, I think in an effort, you know, to find something that fits because we do want something that fits, but you know, there's like, there's this need at once to find something that fits and to define yourself. And then this need to like resist that and sort of push against that and say, I don't need, I don't need one word. I don't need one thing. So I think that that's what like the queer, gender, queer, non-binary, um, fluid umbrella is trying to do like trying to resist a definition so even when like we have that built in like you need to define yourself it's like nope not gonna do that Uh. it's like a this like sort of uh it's a resistance you know well melissa thanks for so much for chatting with me this was great i feel like we're going forever if i didn't have therapy after this oh man Uh. (laughs) i've got therapy coming too it's it's so good yeah this was so good i'm i feel like we need to talk again about our italian families have any any time due to the pandemic i have lots of time um um, melissa where can people go find you get your book do you does that note just say pussy oh it says plugs in oh. bad handwriting <laughs> okay this is what i see I, I looked at the notebook and i was like oh that just says pussy um seeing pussy everywhere um you can find me at www.melissafalovino.com i'm also on twitter at melissa Falavino, and i'm on instagram at ml Falavino. i think that covers it yeah um well uh melissa thanks again so much and people go check out the book and why don't you go ahead and say goodbye to everybody thank you so much for having me bye everybody it's been real If you enjoyed my conversation with Melissa Falavino, we've got a bonus episode with her coming out tomorrow exclusively on Patreon. Over there, we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, kind of the source of this Midwestern sexual shame that seems to exist among many of y'all in the Midwest and flyover country. You know, what's that about? Melissa and I are going to get into it. And you can gain access to her bonus episode as well as 200 other bonus episodes of the Man Whore Podcast at patreon.com slash Podcast. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Podcast. Uh, Melissa was just a delight. She, uh, she signed a copy of her book after we were done recording. That was sweet of her. Uh, and also Caitlin Bailey. Thanks again to Caitlin. Go check out her podcast, The Oldest Profession. You should be following me on the social media by now, but hey, maybe you're new, maybe you forgot, maybe you just got Instagram for the first time, so I'll remind you of the pl- of the tags. Uh, I'm on Twitter at TheBillyPresida. I'm on Instagram at BillyIsPresida. Uh, and if you want to enjoy some sex-positive memes or get yourself some Man Whore merch, go smash that like button on the Man Whore Podcast Facebook fan page. Oh, yeah. 
If you want to send me your comments, your questions, your criticisms, you can send that all on over to manwhorepod at gmail.com. Oh, and I think you would really enjoy this. Uh, I did a, <laughs> I, uh, I shot some content with someone y'all might be interested in. I, I shot a whole mess of photos and videos with Roxanne. Oh yeah, that Roxanne from the oral sex auditions. Mmm, go see all the fun that we had together <laughs> and all the fun that she had shooting me over on my OnlyFans, available at OnlyFans.com slash CallMeBilly. I uh, hope you enjoyed this. I, what am I still saying? I, I need to get off this mic. I need to go play Minesweeper. Stay slutty. <laughs> The Man Whore Podcast is sponsored by HotMovies.com. Try out some ethical, paid-for porn for free with none of those hidden fees or secret subscriptions when you sign up at HotMovies.com and use the promo code MANHOR.